0: Probably all of us have have just, like, blown it in an irreversible way. Like, I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but you know, right? <laughs> you probably can think of a, a time, like, yeah. <laughs> and if you can't think of a time, probably your spouse next to you will elbow you and go, remember that? Like, yes, I remember. Uh, you know, You've messed up, you've screwed up in a way that like you never wanna think about it again. And every time it comes up, like somebody brings it up, you just feel like, like just nothing, right? It's bad. Um, the year was 1996. Um, we were living in Idaho. Trevor was almost ready to turn three. He was gonna turn three in in like just right about this time. Tristan was born um, March 19th, so she is uh, two months old and it's Mother's Day and I'm sick on the couch. Uh, We had moved to Idaho so I could go to Boise Bible College and Tristan was born there, she's our little spud Uh, potato and so um, anyway it's like she's literally two months almost to the day two months old Trevor is is turning three and I'm and and I'm sick I got to keep mentioning that because it helps my side of the story Uh, anyway I remember um, being like really concerned that I get a hold of my mom and I wish her happy Mother's Day. And I think at one point, I was like pressuring Andrea, like, like, have you, like, did you call your mom? Have you called your mom, have you talked to your mom? Like it's Mother's Day, we gotta, we gotta do that. I went the entire day without saying happy Mother's Day to my wife, without, I didn't buy her anything, I didn't get her a card, I didn't tell her um, how proud I was of her. And like two months after our second child was born, I I didn't tell her what a great mom I thought she was. I didn't talk to her about what a great job she was doing while I was going to school full-time and working full-time. And and she was at home, just like watching other kids. I, I went the entire day and didn't say a thing to her about being a mom on Mother's Day. And I don't remember the rest of it because I woke up about three days later. That's not, no, that's not true. She, she was as gracious as she could be. But I remember it was, either, it was either late that Sunday or maybe the next day when she very quietly just said, um, you know, I'm a mom too. And I just, I just was crushed. Like, there's no way to come back from that. Like, there's no like every Mother's Day, she doesn't have to say a word. I'm reminded about that um, that that weekend and that very terrible, terrible day. All of us have experienced this like colossal failures in our lives. Maybe it was something at work that you missed or didn't do and then something bad happened. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's with your kids and you just lost it. And and, and now you're, you're afraid, <laughs> you're having anxiety like Easton, about, like I've messed my child up for the rest of their lives. Uh, like we all have experienced just Things both in our personal lives and probably in our spiritual lives as well. Like there have been times in my life where I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading me um, to talk to somebody or to do something and, and, and I made an excuse to not do it. I got kids in the car, I can't just leave them and, and I got this or that. And, and those things just rattle around in my head and I replay them and I remember them and then I just feel terrible about, you know, about being a, just the way I follow Jesus or, or about being a, a good husband or a good father. And, and I wonder, maybe this is why, like my own failures, maybe this is why I've always felt like a connection with the apostle uh, Peter. Here's some things about Peter. We, we always hear him speaking without thinking. And I'm like, I, I raise my hand, I do that. All, like i don't you you know I do that all the time. Um, like Peter has these these knee jerk reactions to things that just get him in trouble and and he always like he thinks he 's doing the right thing and then it turns out to be completely the wrong thing and and I 'm like, yeah, check mark by that one too, like I do that uh, all the time as well. I was like Peter is the poster child. For, for the term, ask forgiveness, not permission. Like this is how Peter lives his life. He's just, man, he's just out there. He's doing stuff. And then he has to go back. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I just need a sign. Like that should be my sign. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't intend to offend you or hurt you or not wish you happy mother's day. I, I'm sorry. Just all every day of my life. But for Peter, I, I think it really culminates on the night that that Jesus is betrayed by that other disciple, Judas. And so I want to take a minute and look at um, Peter's journey with Jesus over the last three years leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. So uh, according to the Apostle Luke, uh, Peter is one of Jesus' very first disciples, one one of the first people that Jesus calls to follow him as a a disciple. And in that day, in that culture, being a disciple, like we use the term in church, but you don't hear that that word anywhere else, right? Like we don't use that in um, normal language. But to be a disciple of somebody was a, a serious thing. It was a big deal. And so especially when you talk about a religion. And so Jesus presents himself as a rabbi, a Jewish teacher of the Torah, of the Old Testament, the Bible, like somebody who knows, and he's going to pass on his knowledge to another group of people so that they can then teach a bunch of other people that same knowledge. And so this is the relationship that Jesus has with the 12 disciples. They, they are his kind of like journeyman preachers. They live with him. Oftentimes a rabbi would like um, take these people, like not just um, under their wing, but they'd provide for their needs. And so they would like live with them and be with, they were with them all the time. This was a big deal. And so the first time that Jesus really, at least in scripture that we're told Jesus meets Peter, Peter is doing what he did. He's a fisherman by trade. And uh, he's out at the Sea of Galilee where he and his brother Andrew and then their partners, James and John, whose dad was um, uh, Zebedee, and, and they all work together. And Jesus uh, is at the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's preaching and teaching and the disciples are kind of there. They're not disciples yet, but they're kind of listening. They're tending to their nets. And, and Jesus, like the crowd gets so big that Jesus gets into Peter's boat and he asked Peter to put out from shore a little bit so that he can teach the people on the, on the shore. And, and I think, I've often thought about it, I'm like, uh, that seems really odd to me. Like, it seems like it would be harder to talk to people if you're in a boat away from shore. But I think Jesus was setting up an opportunity to have this connection with Peter. And so he's in Peter's boat and they're there and, and like Peter's gotta be in the boat with him. And so Jesus says, after he gets done teaching, he says, hey, Peter, put out a little farther and put your nets in the water. And, and we're told in the text that Peter and his, and his buddies, they'd been fishing all night, they hadn't caught a thing. And, and they're like, they're tired, they're frustrated. Like Peter thinks, if you know about Peter, Pe- like Peter thinks he's always got the right answer. Everything he does is gonna be right, it's gonna succeed, it's gonna be great. And, and so for them to go out and fish at night and not catch anything, that's a personal failure for Peter. And so Jesus like brings up, hey Peter, I know you think you're a great fisherman. You're not, clearly, because you didn't catch anything. Um, but if you put out a little ways from shore and put your nets down, I think I, think I can help you. Now, you, you, gotta, you, you gotta think about this situation. Peter has been a fisherman his entire life. And his buddies, they've all been fishing. They've probably been fishing with James and John's dad, like he's taught them. They know what, they are professional fishermen. Jesus comes along. Jesus is not a fisherman, he's a carpenter. Doesn't fish. Um, It's morning, probably late morning by this time, Which means Peter is like, look, Jesus, I I know you swing a hammer all the time. You gotta understand the fish are not biting. It's late morning, we fished all night. We fish during the best time to catch fish. This is not it. Like you don't know what you're talking about. And and, and then again, uh, Jesus, look, we've been out all night. There's no fish in the sea. You ever been fishing and not caught anything? And you just walk away going, that's it. There are literally no fish in El Dorado Lake. There's none. Because clearly if there were any fish, I would have caught some. And this is, this is Peter. This is a very devastating moment for Peter. And, and yet, um, I don't know, because Peter respects Jesus or, or maybe, I think it's probably more likely, Jesus just, or Peter just wants to prove something to Jesus. Peter just wants to go, I told you so. And so he goes ahead and puts his nets out um, in the water. And of course, if you, if you know the story, they caught so many fish that they, the boat was like sinking because the weight of the fish was so heavy as they tried to pull it into the boat. And, and so at this point in the story, Peter realizes Jesus is somebody special. Like he's listened to the things that Jesus has said. Now it's like Jesus... Like, he's a carpenter, but he just, like, found all these fish. This is crazy. Something is different about him. And so Luke chapter 5 verse 8 tells us that Peter actually kind of gets down on his knees and and he says, depart from me because I am a sinful man. So Peter has this moment where he recognizes Jesus is somebody special. He's a rabbi. He's close to God. He knows what's going on. That's not who I am. Peter understands who he is. And, and, and look, the reality, like I know who I am. I know the things I do, the things I think, the things I say when nobody else is around. You know who you are. We all have this, like what we would call the real picture of who we are in our minds. Jesus, it's this moment Peter is there and he's like, get, like, Jesus, get out of my boat. Don't come, like I, I don't deserve to be in a relationship with you. And, and Jesus ignores Peter. And, and, instead of, and instead of just going like, okay, I'm, I'm gone. You're right, Peter. You're a horrible, terrible, sinful, awful dude. I'm gonna have anything to do with you. Instead, Jesus says to Peter and his brother Andrew and to James and John, their partners, Jesus says, follow me. Peter, this is not about you, it's about me. And yeah, I know all the stuff you've done, but, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna call you out of the life that you have lived. I'm gonna call you into something that you couldn't imagine. So it's like this big kind of moment. And then throughout the rest of Jesus' biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Peter like just kind of continuing to be Peter. He just does one stupid thing after another. But again, it kind of culminates on the night that Jesus is betrayed. And so Jesus and the disciples, we talked about this a few weeks ago, Jesus and disciples are, are out at the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem, just a short walk out of town. And Jesus has been praying. The disciples have been sleeping and it's just back and forth between them. And, 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 and then after Jesus prays the third time, this mob from the city, including um, servants of, of the high priests and their different families and, and the temple guards and, and probably some Roman soldiers. And then just this mob of people come out to the olive grove with torches and with swords. And, and they're like, this is, this is like a military operation. They're coming out to arrest this guy and they think there's going to be trouble. And so they come out to get Jesus. They take him, he's, they take him into town and he's questioned. And, and, and while he's there, Jesus refuses to deny who he is as the son of God, even though it will save his life. All Jesus has to say is no, I'm not who I've been claiming to be and and he's not gonna die. But he refuses to deny who he is. And then we we talked about this two weeks ago, there's this parallel story between Jesus and Peter and and so Jesus refuses to deny who he is as the son of God. Peter is outside in the courtyard without chains, without guards, um, without the country's top religious leaders questioning him. And yet Peter quickly rejects Jesus and denies who he is as a follower. And and he doesn't just do this one time, like that that would be bad enough. He doesn't just do it one time, he does it three different times, just like Jesus said he would a few hours before. I guess one thing to just have these things pop up and, and you make a mistake and you blow it. But to have somebody tell you this is what you're gonna do and then you deny it in front of all your friends, it will not happen. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then it, and then it happens. Like that's just not, that's not good. And so Peter has this realization of what's going on. He runs out of the courtyard. He runs out alone. He's weeping over his sin. And then again, parallel story, Peter runs out alone, weeping, Jesus is led to the cross to die alone for Peter's sin and your sin and mine. And and so we get this, this picture, Peter now for three days has just been like sitting with his guilt. He knows what he's done and he's replaying in his mind how he said, no, that's not gonna happen. Like just think about what is going on with Peter right now, the emotional stuff he's going through. Like the last thing Peter said to Jesus before he died was: even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now, all these other, all these other fools, they might deny you, but I will not, even under the threat of death. That's the last thing Peter said to Jesus. And the last thing Peter did before Jesus died was deny him and run away. Like like this is some heavy, heavy guilt that Peter is dealing with. And so he, here's what we learned from um, Peter's story. Your past failures will always try to claim precedent in your future. And, and you know this, right? Because you've been laying in bed at night thinking about all of the things that you screwed up all the things you said, the things you did, that you shouldn't have, and, and then in your mind, you're like, why should I expect anything else to go better? Like, Easton didn't know this was gonna happen, but he stumbled into, like, just an extra point for me in the message. He, he said there'd been some things in his life where he had lost some friends, and that causes him anxiety, and he thinks that the friends that he has now, he might lose them as well. That's what's going on here. Well, it happened once before. What's to keep it from happening again? And so Satan just plays mind games with us. And he's like, look, you screwed up yesterday. You blew it. You said you weren't going to. And you did it. And you're dumb. And you shouldn't have done it. You knew you shouldn't have done it. You did it anyway. And you're probably going to do it tomorrow. And you're probably going to do it the day after that. And, and so what happens is our failures are constantly trying to set this precedent in our life for failure. You fail before you're gonna fail again. Like, we know that this is what Peter does. Because the first time we meet Peter, what does he say? Depart from me because I'm a sinful man. Like, I'm a failure and I keep failing and I can't get it right and I shouldn't be in relationship with you. Like, Peter knows who he is. Now, we know that Peter feels terrible for what he did that night when he denied Jesus. We know that he feels terrible for that because the text tells us that Peter ran out weeping after the rooster crowed. Peter experiences some pretty hefty remorse, but Jesus is dead. And so what's Peter gonna do? Well, the, the guy that you just failed is gone and, and there's nothing else to do. There's nothing to say, nothing to do. And, 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 and so I, I, think, I think the Peter that we see before the rooster crows and then the peter that we see after are they're two different people every other time before this moment when peter comes up he's just man he's open mouth and cert foot kind of situation every time and then after this there's like nothing about peter Jesus shows up to the disciples a couple times in the room, and there's no mention of Peter. Peter was one of the guys with James and John who were like Jesus, the four of them were like really tight. Jesus spent more time with Peter, James, and John than anybody else in his his ministry. Peter was always mentioned in everything that's going on. Peter was like this leader. He was out in front. Everything that happened, he was right there, and yet... He dies, and he's right, and then and then Peter's like nowhere. You don't hear anything about him, really. Uh, Peter denied Jesus, and then Jesus died without Peter around. That's tough. But but if Jesus is alive, right? Like 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 he came back, and if Jesus is alive, I, I think Peter is conflicted internally. I think there's some stuff going on inside of him. Like on the one hand, he's thrilled that his friend Jesus is alive. And, and even more than that, if Jesus is alive, he may very well be who he claimed to be after all. You know, all of Peter's hopes and dreams with Jesus were gone and Peter felt terrible. But now that Jesus is alive, maybe he is the Messiah. That's a big deal. Um, but if he is alive, like, how do you come back from that? How do you just walk up to Jesus and go, hey, bud, like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I know that I denied you in the most difficult moment of your entire life and I walked away and I wasn't there, uh, but hey, let's go, let's go have a beer. I don't know, <laughs> like, how do, how do you get away from that? How do you move past that? That is a huge, difficult problem. Uh, Look, if you can't see past your failures, you won't seek a better future. And I think this is the picture of Peter that we catch in the next few stories that we hear about Jesus. We already know that Peter keeps track of his past sins and failures. And I just, I can't imagine what he's thinking at this point. Um, But let's look at the, the timeline here. After Jesus' resurrection, like he, he dies on the cross. It's like three days, the way the Jews count days. And then Jesus comes back um, to life. And once he comes back to life, Jesus appears to his disciples two different times in Jerusalem. Uh, to the to the men. They're like sequestered in this room. And the first time Jesus shows up, um, they're all there except Judas because he's gone dead already. And so the 11 are all there except Thomas, right? With, with the story kind of switches from Peter to Thomas. And, and Thomas says, unless I see the nail holes and put my finger in his hands and my hand in his side, I just won't believe. And, 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 and then Jesus shows up again later and Thomas is with them and they're all there. And Jesus shows up again, and he confronts Thomas. And, and I gotta think, like, where's Peter right now? Peter's in the room the first time Jesus shows up, and, and, and Peter's just like, just like getting in the corner. He's like, man, I hope he doesn't. Look, you guys know, like the teacher says, who knows the answer to this question? You're like, not me, don't look at me, I don't know. That's Peter. Like, he, like he knows. This is all fresh in his mind, what's just happened. And, and he's like, man, I, I, I don't want Jesus to call on me. And so he's just kind of hunkered down. And then Jesus leaves and there's a little bit of relief. And then the next time Jesus shows up, Thomas is there. And Jesus like calls Thomas out. And Peter's like, oh, no, this is not, it's not going to be good. Not going to be good. Ah. Then Jesus tells his disciples go back to Galilee. That's where they were all from anywhere, the Sea of Galilee in that area. And and so the disciples all do that. The 11 disciples, they go back to Galilee and they're just waiting there. And while they're waiting, Peter says, it's really interesting that the text tells us, Peter says to the rest of them, let's go fishing. I thought, why would Peter do that? Like they're just waiting, they're waiting for Jesus to come back. Why does Peter wanna do that? And I think I've come up with an eye idea. I think Peter suggests that they go fishing because this is what Peter knows. I think Peter's trying to rebuild his status with the disciples. I think he's trying to say, hey, let's go fishing because I know fishing. And if we go out and go fishing and I lead us to a bunch of fish, I'm going to feel better about my, like, I know the sea. I know how to catch fish. This is going to be good for me. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of regain a little bit of my status from before. And so they go out fishing and they go fishing all night long. And how many fish do they catch? Zero fish. Peter thought this was gonna be a way for him to be like, stroke his ego a little bit. (laughs) And instead, it's like miserable, awful moment. They catch nothing and Peter's just like, I've failed again, I can't do anything right. And then early in the morning hours, Jesus appears on the shore. Oh, Uh, (laughs) Jesus appears on the shore. The disciples are out on the boat. They're frustrated. They haven't caught anything all night and they look to the shore and they don't know that it's Jesus. He's probably a little ways away. And so he hollers out to them in the early morning hours and he says, hey, if you have any luck, you catch anything? And Peter has to go, nope, I'm a miserable failure. I can't even catch a stupid fish. So this stranger on the shoreline, he hollers back to him and he says, hey, put your net out again and I think you'll catch some. And for some reason, we don't know why, for some reason they put the net back in the water again and they catch so many fish that the, that the nets are just overflowing um, and, and they can't get them into the boat. The nets are so heavy. And, and it's at this moment Peter's like, I think I've been here before. Like this. This, this is ringing a bell here. I think something's going on. And Peter realizes that it's Jesus on the shore. And the text says that Peter puts on his outer cloak and he jumps into the water and he swims back to shore in front. He like leaves the rest of the guys to worry about the fish and he swims to the shore. Now we are not told a single thing that happens next while Peter is on the shore with Jesus. We're only told this one bit of information that Jesus... And Peter presumably had started a charcoal fire on the shore. And by the time the rest of the guys get there, there's this charcoal fire and there's some fish and some bread. And John makes a point to tell us that this was the third time that Jesus had revealed himself after his resurrection. So let's look at what happens next. When they had finished breakfast, so they get to the shore, they eat the fish and the bread. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, this is the very first conversation that Peter and Jesus have had since Peter denied him. And this is what they're talking about. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. And then he continued, He said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. Jesus says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Like, why keep, quit asking me. And so he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could talk about in, in there, about, about how the, f- the first two times that Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? The word that Jesus uses, agape, it's a, it's a self-sacrifice, it's like the highest form of, of love, it's unconditional love. Peter, do you love me? And every time Peter responds with, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know I love you like a brother. I, I don't love you unconditionally. And, and here's what I think is going on. But Peter's like, I can't love you unconditionally. I just denied you. I don't deserve to have that kind of a relationship with you. But, I, but there's so much more about this story. Like, what was Peter doing the first time that Jesus called him to follow? You remember? He was fishing. He was fishing and he fished all night long and he hadn't caught a single thing and then Jesus says, cast your net out and, and, and you'll catch some fish, and so they do. That's when Peter says, depart from me because I'm, I'm a sinful man, and instead Jesus it, it gives him this invitation, follow me, and so Peter does. But Peter doesn't change who he is. He's still loud and obnoxious, and he, and he acts first and thinks later. And then again, Jesus comes back, and they're at the shore, and it's just, the, it's just like a repeat of the first time. But, but I've also been looking at the text and going, is there anything odd going on here? Like what's the weird thing? I think it's really weird that John tells us Jesus started a charcoal fire. I think it's weird because number one, it would make more sense for him to start like a wood fire. Why, why, why a charcoal fire? Number two, who cares what kind of fire he used to cook the fish? makes absolutely no difference to the story. Unless you remember this really interesting bit of information. When was the last time in the text that John used the term charcoal fire? I'll give you a hint. It was John chapter 18, verse 17. Peter's in the courtyard of the high priest. He's already denied Jesus a couple times and some of the servants and the guards had come out and they had lit a charcoal fire and Peter had come to warm himself by the fire. What's the number one sense tied to memory? Smell. You think Peter recognized that? (laughs) I think absolutely he did. So the first time Jesus calls Peter to follow him, he's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's where they're at today. The fire Jesus uses has the same smell as the fire Peter stood by just a few nights before when he denied that he was a follower of Jesus. Three times Jesus, uh, three times Peter betrayed Jesus. Three times Jesus is revealed to Peter uh, along with the other disciples. Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Three times Jesus says some variation of feed my sheep, tend my sheep, care for my lambs. And then just like the first time Jesus met Peter on the shore of Galilee, Jesus reissues this initial call to follow me. And I think this is a really, really powerful moment because finally Jesus and Peter address the elephant in the room. But I I want you to notice something really important about this interaction between them. Nowhere in their conversation does Jesus mention Peter's failure. Nowhere does Jesus say, I know what you did and I told you you were gonna do it. He just doesn't bring it up. I mean, that the symbolism, the circumstances are undeniable. That morning, Peter emotionally is right back in the courtyard. He has all of those memories, all of those feelings flooding back into his mind. He knows exactly what's going on. But Jesus never talks about Peter's failure because Peter knows. Instead, Jesus points to Peter's future. And he gives Peter a bigger mission than himself. He says, stop thinking and worrying about yourself, Peter. Like I need you to feed and tend and care for my sheep. I need you, Peter, to take over my position, my job as shepherd of the church when I go. This is a big deal. And so Jesus reissues his initial call. And, and, and Jesus is like in that moment, he's like, look, Peter, I knew who you were when I called you three years ago at the shore of Galilee. I knew who you were when you said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And I issued my call in spite of that because I know where you're headed and I'm not so interested in all your hangups. And again, here at the end of this story, Jesus is getting ready to go be with the father, like this is moment, this incredible moment. Peter has even gone farther in the wrong direction from Jesus now uh, with his denial. And, and yet Jesus repeats that initial call. He's like, look, Peter, I don't care what you've done. I, you just got to follow me. And I think Peter had begun to kind of follow Jesus physically. He walked with him. He went with him. He he did kind of the things that Jesus was doing. But I don't think up until this point had, had Peter really followed Jesus spiritually. I don't think it had changed who he was yet. The first time. Jesus asked Peter to follow him. Peter is like brash and foolhardy and he's driven by ego and he he has this desire to be the best and he wants to be the top disciple. He wants to be Jesus' right-hand man. And and this time, this time Peter is humble and he's contemplative. Like this time Peter's just happy to be included in the group and not be exiled. Look, Jesus is always more interested in your future than in your failure, and we get that backwards, don't we? We think that our failure excludes us from a better future. I know what I've done, I don't deserve the good things that God might bring in our lives, and yet consistently Jesus is always more interested in our future than in our, than in our failure. So look, you've got history. <laughs> big deal. We've all got history. I was trying to find a time where Jesus focused on someone else's failure instead of their future in in scripture. And I couldn't come up with a single time. Whenever Jesus encounters someone who's blown it, he didn't dwell on their failures. He helped them see their future. He pointed to their, their future. Like the woman at the well. Like, look, Five husbands, you're living with a guy who's not your husband right now. This is not God's best for your life. And yet she brings the whole town out to meet Jesus. This incredible turnaround. Zacchaeus, the traitor who extorted money from his own people, the Jews, has this encounter with Jesus and and he gives everything back and then some. The woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus doesn't condemn her. Instead, he says, go What's he pointing to? Her future, go and sin no more. And then there's Peter, this hothead who knew he had messed up and blown it and failed over and over and over again and yet Jesus calls him to step into the role that he was created for. And so like Peter, we've gotta stop reciting all of our failures and we gotta just keep following. Jesus, do so we want to stop every time we fail and go? Oh, I gotta, I gotta take a break. I gotta step back. I gotta rethink things. I gotta get my life right, and then, then I can, then I can start again. And Jesus, is like, nope, like, where I know what you're gonna do. I already paid the price for it. You just keep following. Like even after, even after his denial, Peter stayed with the disciples. Like he ran away and cried, and then he comes right back. He didn't expect the same position. Like he didn't come back and go, look, I'm gonna be the top dog and you all gotta listen to me and follow me, all that stuff. He didn't do that. He just wanted to be a part of the group. Like I just wanna, I just wanna be here, like this is my safe place. Look, you will never achieve your purpose if you can't abandon your past. You will never see a better future if you can't see past your failure. And you will never accomplish the mission of God in your life if you can't shut off your memory. Jesus is not looking to punish you. He just continues to pursue you over and over again because he sees the future and all that you were created to be. He's like the failures, they're, they're done, they're over. Look, if, if you and I are gonna look more like Jesus every day, you've got to develop short-term memory for your failures and keep your focus on the future. Just like Jesus. And and, and really, whether it's you or whether it's others, we've always got to be more interested in the future, but in the future than in the failure. Our own or other people. Let's have the same grace that Jesus has for ourselves and for the other people in our life. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us enough to look past our failures. And thanks for story after story after story in the Bible of guys like Peter who just blow it royally. And yet you continue not just to call them but to use them in incredible ways to build and grow your kingdom. God, would you help us have grace for our own failures and for the failures in the lives of others. Help us in that way to look more like you every day. In Jesus' name.